welcome to Back from the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. You all know that I'm deeply interested in how therapists and psychiatrists do their work and show up for their clients and patients as they carry their own pain and traumas. I had never met Leah Barrett, a psychotherapist here in Fort Collins, before this recording, but within just a few minutes, I was blown away by her openness and warmth, her insight, her courage. This is one of only two episodes that we've released in which I didn't edit out a single minute, and I think you'll understand why as you listen to Leah's story. I was um, first diagnosed with cancer in late December of 2013, and um, it was advanced ovarian cancer. So it required a eight hour plus surgery with um, months of chemotherapy to follow. And that was my first diagnosis and the diagnosis that just, you know, I was so naive, personally to all of it. And my identity around work um, has always been a big player in my life. So I, I did not know what to do. I, I didn't know if I could work. I didn't know if I should quit. I didn't know if I was going to make it through treatment. I didn't know if I was going to die. I mean, early on in an advanced cancer diagnosis, not a whole lot of promises are made, right? So it really threw me um, professionally. And I felt like I needed to be able to say something to <laughs> the people I work with about, am I going to die on them or not? And and so what ended up happening is I took a bunch of time off. I felt like I needed to know first what mm-hmm. was going to happen. Um, did you tell people? Hey, I did. I'm going on medical leave. I totally, yep. right away. And I got a lot of supervision. Did you say for cancer? I did. Mm-hmm. I was okay. super transparent. Mm-hmm. You know, I decided why change who I am with my clients now because I've always been a bit of a maverick as a therapist. I've always sort of walked close to the edge of too much disclosure, but I find when you know that sweet spot, it's powerful. So I thought, why would I change now? Like, why would I lie? Why would I be, um, I don't know, cagey about why I was going on medical leave? I was just really, really honest and said hopeful things like, my plan is to come back in six months. But inside, I didn't know if that was going to happen. I had no idea. It was a hard waiting game for me. Like I picture what my clients might have been feeling out there for six months, but for me it was. Oh, it was six months. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, that's a big. It's one thing you tell your people, "Hey, I'm gonna get a little treatment for a few weeks." Yeah, but six months. Yeah, I'm be gone with cancer treatment. Yeah, it was. It was so long that I thought. I mean, I, may, I referred them to so many people. I didn't. I had no idea if I was coming back. They thought I was coming back. And so when that time happened, who would come back, right? I mean, the whole thing was, it was awful for me professionally. It's clearly my little private hell physically. But yeah, it, I did not know how much I identified with my profession until that thing happened to me. Yeah. So you had to find homes for all those people. Yeah. Oh and God. then, right, you're, you're going through treatment, you're thinking, who will come back? And right. what, what did you find six months later? How many came back? And Almost all of them. Mm-hmm. I was flabbergasted. 
And not because I had this, you know, ego stroke, but because I thought, who would want to take a risk on a therapist that might die? I mean, I was so into the existential wonderment for them. Um, again, they didn't, I didn't say I was going to die, but you just say cancer. You just talk about that. The fact that I was off for six months, they're out there in their heads having their experience with cancer, using that with mine, you know, all that. So to think that I, I thought a handful of people would come back. Mm-hmm. And did they, you look different? Like, had you lost oh, yeah. your hair then? So I was, mm-hmm. so I, I so lost coming, a lot of weight. They're coming back for that first appointment. Mm-hmm. How is Leah? And they mm-hmm. see you've lost your hair. You've lost yeah. weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I looked like I'd gone through hell, you know? You know, I was upright and moving, um, but you can't hide, you know, you don't have any eyelashes or eyebrows. My hair was, you can't see me now, but like this, it was beginning to grow back where right now it's beginning to fall out. Mm-hmm. And so it's in this phase of, I don't think you chose that haircut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you, you look mm-hmm. sick. Yeah. yeah. And I had to do a lot of um, reassuring. Yeah. Because yeah. I would imagine... It's such so amazing that they essentially all came back. But I'm wondering, do you remember certain people that really struggled with not trying to take care of you? Oh, yeah. Because if someone's thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to have to put my dog to sleep or my boss is being an asshole. And they look at you and they think, you just went through hell and you might die on me. Right. How can can I talk about conflict with my boss or, or my husband's annoying? Yep. So you know what I did with that? And, th- and, and again, thought long and hard. So I thought long and hard about how to tell them through that email and then long and hard about those first sessions back. So I just actually took the reins before they even said anything. I said, hey, I want to say some things about what I look like and what I just went through. And I want to check in with you. And I said, you know, I know you want to come back. You thought you wanted to come back. But now that you're here, if, if you're having any feelings about what you see, and what's going on about mm. what you're coming to talk to me about and any hesitation about your ability to do that authentically. Let's talk about that because this is a sacred space for you. And if, if we can't provide what you need because of what I've been through, that's okay. Mm. There is nothing wrong with either of us and our ability to do this. But I want you to sit with that. And if you have some thoughts right now, let's do it. Mm-hmm. But if thoughts pop up five sessions from now, you can just interrupt me. And so I just really laid the foundation for let's make this something to talk about if it feels relevant yeah. to you. Yeah. You you said there is an elephant in the room mm-hmm. and it's cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and did anybody accept your offer yeah. to leave? And Yeah. Yeah. Um and that was fine. Not very many. Mm-hmm. I sort of thought of it. So the few people that chose to not come back, I was grateful for them because they knew, they self-selected. They knew what they needed, which was fantastic. I felt relieved. And so maybe the ones that came in and it took that first session to kind of think about it, I was also grateful mm-hmm. because the last thing I would want would be someone who, like I didn't do a good enough job giving them permission to leave. I don't know, but you like I I want that for them, right? Mm. So, but what mostly happened was they felt relieved that we could talk about it, mm. and they said exactly what you said. Like I, how do my issues even compare? Mm. Like I don't know. I said, but they do.
I like to I like to find common ground in our suffering. Like there's no there's no Olympics to who suffers the most based upon what they experience. There's none. We all suffer. And if your issue is, you know, tension in your marriage or a fallout with your boss or, you know, you're you're about to lose your animal. Mm-hmm. It's all relevant. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a something I tell my patients sometimes they'll say, "Well, my suffering is not that bad. It's not like I have, you know, paranoid schizophrenia." And I say, "Look, which is worse, you know, a broken femur or splinters jammed up under all your fingernails?" I mean, a broken femur is worse, but how much does it hurt to have finger, you know, right. spl- splinters under all your fingernails and yeah. they're both awful. Yes. I mean, one is yeah, clearly more dangerous, but they're both just suffering. Yeah, exactly. And and so there was rich conversations around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that became, again, another sort of, I don't know, like toll booth for them to walk through like, oh, okay, I can do that. Or mm-hmm. hmm, I still can't quite get my head wrapped around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think, uh, or I could imagine that therapy with people who stuck it out the, back then, it could really turn up the heat on it. I'm reminded of... One of my supervisors at Brown, um, we did three years of psychodynamic therapy where we followed four people for three years. And going into my fourth final year, my supervisor said, ah, this is where the therapy begins. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean? He said, termination. He said, we're going to start termination stuff now. I said, it's a year away. He said, yep. He said, this this is where all the good stuff in therapy happens is when you actually face the fact that it's going to end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, I do think... I mean, I've had clients for over 15 years, and so not all the time. Like, they come in and out depending on what's going on. Um, So that subset has all those years pre-illness, and now they have these three experiences with me being sick and this last version where I will die from this at some point is um, amazing. It's like we, we've lived these lifetimes together, mm. right? And um, so it, it feels precious to me mm-hmm. to have the depth of those relationships from sort of like beginning to end in, in the real way, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's not just metaphor. Yeah. yeah. So after the first bout of cancer, <clears throat> excuse me, you went into full remission, yeah. and I'm guessing you're thinking and your patient's clients are thinking, Leah's out of the woods, yeah. mm-hmm. we hung in here with her, oh good, yeah, yeah. now we can just go on and on and on. Right, yeah. And then, <laughs> I try to laugh at this chapter of the story, it's kind of funny. So I, um, after being diagnosed with ovarian cancer at somewhat a young age, I was suspected that maybe I carried a genetic mutation and... That didn't seem obvious to me because my family history didn't show anything. Well, lo and behold, I got tested and I am a BRCA1 carrier, which increases your rate of ovarian and breast cancer in your lifetime, just like you're going to get it. So I decided to um, have a double mastectomy. It's called prophylactic, which means it's a risk-reducing surgery. So the likelihood of you getting breast cancer is very low at that point. Not foolproof, but very low. 
and I got breast cancer, <laughs> which was like, I, what? After the surgery. Yeah, yeah, after the surgery and after ovarian cancer. And I thought, mm. hmm. Mm. I, I just laughed because why? I mean, I might as well. So anyway, I had to confront my clients again. I'm like, mm. shit, great. Uh, but this time I was sort of motivated and pissed enough about this that I didn't really want to take time off. Mm. I was like, well, this is going to go because I know I get sick from chemo. I have, you know, experienced that before. And now am I setting my clients up to be, am I going to be bad at my job? Like, am I going to have to cancel a lot? I mean, I was just anticipating all these things, less so than existential death conversations. But I had to do that too. I had to, (laughs) you know, say this is going on again. Remember that first conversation we had? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of that. Did you do all these... With the second cancer, did you were these face to face conversations with each client patient? Because you, you'd said before you sent emails to sort of tell everybody, "Hey, this in general is what's happening." But yeah. I can imagine the second bout—that's a big deal. Yeah, so I sent out an email right away, mm-hmm. and then I said, "Well, I'm going to be seeing you if you want." And blah blah blah. Um, this was going to be different. And I really reassured them that I was going to be okay because this was not the first cancer and it's considered a whole new ball game. It's not a recurrence. And so I'm really instilling confidence in them and me. What I couldn't promise was it's chemotherapy and I might not feel well. So there could be some sporadic last minute cancellations. And if that's going to be a drag, you, you know, you've got a right to not want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were a lot more in-person conversations at the beginning for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause if they saw me through, you know, being bald for a long time and no eyelashes and eyebrows yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So then, first time you took six months off, this time you just powered through, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to see you. And how did that go? It turned out psychologically for me to be great because I had someplace to go and a purpose and I wasn't talking about my cancer, mm. right? Um, it's great for me. It, it's, I think it's what saved me. Um, and as I said before, I did not realize how identified I was with the work I do. And I think, I think our work is sacred and I think our work is service and... So it wasn't just my job, you know, it was all this purposeful stuff that I had missed. So this time, uh, it just saved me. Mm. Were there times you went to work quite ill, but you just felt like for for your good and for the good of your people that you should do it? Yeah. I mean, not to be too graphic. I mean, if I was like vomiting, I wasn't Mm going to go. (laughs) But, you know, having a hemoglobin below eight and, you know, Mm -hmm. exhausted and yeah I went then mm-hmm. yeah were people wanting updates I can again just picturing these sessions they're sitting across from you they know you're going through something big and they want to start talking about whatever is going on with them but they're thinking mm-hmm. gosh I should be polite and see how Leah's is doing <laughs> yep. you know? okay. yes and so I gave them this open invitation like I did the first time I mm-hmm. said listen, if you find yourself sitting on the couch and you forgot why you're here because you're so curious about how I'm doing, I want you to start out the session with 
getting that off your chest. Mm-hmm. Again, otherwise we're going to have kind of a crappy session for you because you you've, you know you're thinking, how's Leah doing? And what is she? Is she okay? Because she doesn't look very good. And um, please just ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was every single time I encouraged that. Do you want to check in with me? You know how you? Do? I mean, I don't. If you can't focus on why you're here because of me, then we're not doing a good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a session after the first or second round where? you just kind of fell apart. I mean, maybe people, someone checked in or, or various sessions where it actually turned into the whole session about you. Cause I'm imagining if I, I'm thinking like if I were going through something like you're going through, there's certain people that I work with, they ask me, I might just cry the whole time. Yeah. And then I'd say, I'm not going to charge you. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> and you're not my therapist, but I don't know. I, I think a lot of my people I feel so close to that when they express genuine concern, I, I don't know. Yeah. I might just, the roles might reverse and they might be my support. Yeah. You know, what happens um, for those people who really want to, like I just try to follow their lead, by the way. So I can tell they want more. And um, and I do, I check in a lot. Like, okay, I noticed we're hanging here in your session. <laughs> just check in. Mm-hmm. Um and it's never taken a whole session, but if someone connects with me at that very, oh God, you know, we keep, there's not even a word for it, right? This super connected soul, spiritual place almost that you feel. Mm-hmm. It's a feeling with someone. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, and I think they feel that. Then yeah, the tears will come. and But then a big smile on my face comes because I say, this is the good stuff. Like... I'm inviting, I do, this is right, turn it. Mm-hmm. I'm inviting you <laughs> to find this place when you connect with you with me. Mm-hmm. Because this is the work. And that's how I would try, not to be manipulative, but just to like, okay, I'm going to, we're using immediacy for both of us right now, right? Mm-hmm. And I see you, I see you, and you see me. And and this, and all those sessions we have, like if if we can help you get here about stuff, there's going to be some good work because mm. I, I would try to kind of keep this parallel therapeutic thing happening when they were connecting with me. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. to your third did you go into full remission after the yeah. second okay mm-hmm. so time yeah. to <laughs> leah beats this and all yeah. her clients yeah. hang there yay yeah. we, we actually we chose the right there yeah, we, right. we, we, we were smart us. to stay on the ship it looked like the ship was going down <laughs> right. but the ship is not going down so awesome. yeah the yes. ss leah floats <laughs> along she's killing it right yeah yeah and then, survived another storm right and mm-hmm. then comes torpedo number three yeah that was the hardest both personally and professionally because of what you just said, right? There was a sense of, ooh, like, wow, can you dodge two bullets? Yeah, so I was feeling super healthy, ecstatic at every level of my being, um, you know, full practice to the point where I was like long wait list, um, just top of my game. So I had a routine follow-up 
which if you ever know anyone's ever been through cancer, you have chronic PTSD as a result of just the experience. And then you have, even if you're in remission and you're considered curative, you still, you know, few and far between, but you go back for appointments. Mm -hmm. So this was a routine follow-up and I reported I'm feeling great and back into my life and blood work showed something suspicious. How long ago was this? This was August of 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, everybody was crushed. Doctor was visibly crushed. Everybody was crushed because it was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And um, at that point, I I was, you know, you can tell I'm sitting here and I've been finding words. I mean, I... Did you know what that meant? Yeah, it meant that whatever was happening, if the breast cancer was coming back or the ovarian cancer was coming, neither a curative. If, so it was just bad all around. Like, if this is cancer, it's cancer, then I'm facing something really different. I didn't know what cancer it was at that point. Um, and there isn't, weirdly, a rush to go figure stuff out when you're following something called tumor markers because, anyway, not to get lost in all the data, but... People, a lot of people are surprised, like when they hear the story, like, well, it was rising. Why don't they go just go do something? It's like, well, because data doesn't show that jumping in with really harsh, toxic treatments, you got it's a cost benefit ratio. So anyway, I'm saying all this because there was this waiting period for me that fucking sucked. Like I knew the train was coming, but I had to like wait on the tracks <laughs> looking for the headlight. All that fall, I was in therapy, hiding it from them, because I was—I didn't even know what I was going to tell them. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So that, on the one hand, was awful, but on the other hand, I cherished every single moment of normalcy. So I had to compartmentalize my shit so deep to be there with them, but I was having this parallel meta experience of, like, is this the last time? Mm-hmm. Right? You know? And what about during this time now you have this really scary knowledge that you're not sharing. So yeah. you, you talked about how powerful that was to just be very transparent and just to like, hey, let's talk yeah. exactly about what's going on. But yeah. now you're coming, putting on your awesome yeah. Leah therapist persona, but in your mind you're thinking, what, this is coming back, what's going to happen? Right. Am I going to get sick or am I going to die? Right. When, do I, when do I tell these? Right. I mean, I yeah. wonder, I mean, that, that sounds like a, purgatory it was yeah yeah that's why i said these like two experiences of it one was dragging my ass to work which i've never had that feeling before and one was immense appreciation for maybe this is the last time Hmm. which is actually what got me there like uh, yeah no i can't tell you i was fighting tears right because when that epiphany came over me like maybe this is it like maybe i don't get to do this anymore maybe this is the last time i see this person and i'm not terminating right now because mm. but i wanted yeah all of that i was fighting all that urge to be completely transparent and do that stuff 
And yeah, I had to wait until, gosh, I kind of waited last minute, which also ethically kind of sucked, right? Because I need to give them a heads up to like, how long am I going to be gone? These are three therapists. <laughs> like, yeah. So I had to like balance all that. But then I finally sent that email. So what, what was the impetus? Was it that, okay, now you're going to jump back into treatment and you knew you were going to be really sick and yeah. you just can't hide that anymore? Yeah. And and then at that point, also I knew what it was. I had the biopsy. I mean, I knew it. So, but what I did this time um, was that I decided I was going to try to come back as soon as possible and try to work through it. So, in the initial email, I said three months because I was trying to like doctors never tell you, but um, I just decided three months, and that seemed way better than six months that first time, right? And I worked all the way through the second time. Um. And so when I wrote them again and said I'm open for, I, a lot of, most, yeah, I think most people came back eventually. Really? Yeah. Yeah, some probably not, but. Wait, so how long, that third time, this most recent time, did you take off totally? Three months. Three months, okay. And then um, this time it's been a little more, like now back in chemotherapy, and so it just, it's a little more hit or miss, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, how, how about the people who couldn't hang with you after this third time? Yeah, I think, God, don't you give them grace for that? Yes, I mean, <laughs> like, wouldn't you? Like... Yeah, no, no, I, I'm amazed. I think those are people with some. I mean, they have their own impressive strength and totally. confidence to say, "Yeah, I, I do need to see someone yeah, else." Exactly. Yeah. Oh, again, so grateful for that. Like, I love that they know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I joke because I'm I'm not sure I would go back if it were my person. Um, so yeah, so this time it's been very different. I couldn't say it was curative, right? And oh yeah, by the way, like simultaneously I launched the podcast, which we can talk about later. But I was very trans. I am very transparent on the podcast, so I knew that if I had clients listening, they would have an even deeper sort of inside scoop, and that would give them more information about what do they want to do, kind of thing. So everyone who's seeing you now knows that, I mean, we're all going to lose everyone we've ever known and loved, but everyone who's seeing you now knows that you might not have a lot longer. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm going to say it that way because that's true. That's true. Um, but the statistically speaking, like, I mean, that's what I have to go off of because every person's an individual and I've beaten the odds kind of weirdly so far. I'm such a science person that like, I look at those statistics like I'm one of those outliers. So I could be one of those outliers again. Um, but it doesn't matter. I will die from one of these diseases, breast or ovarian. I know that I, I'm not, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I, my eyes are wide open, basically. Mm-hmm. So the shorter end is always there, but the longer end is a couple of years, few years from now. Um, it's more the quality of life in between. And, and what we've been talking about all along, it's like, when do I know it's time that I'm not showing up mm-hmm. as the type of therapist I want to be because I'm in and out of treatment and dealing with side effects and... 
I more worry about like, will I know that? Mm -hmm. I better know that. Have you had to cut back? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? So you have this, this crew of people who followed you through all this and you realize that now you really need to marshal your strength and, and to do what you need to do for yourself too. Yeah. Yet, as you said, also your work sustains you and gives you such meaning. I mean, how do you, is it, you just do natural attrition or have you actually told some people? Yep. I basically, um, I, I started out with emailing everyone saying, listen, this is, I'm not sure about this new treatment protocol I'm on. We had to switch drugs and I never know how it's going to go. And so I said, I would like to give this some time, um, at least a month, maybe longer. So for like everyone, they, they know. And then I am now because I'm sort of far enough into this treatment. I mean, for example, it's the day after chemo and I'm with you mm-hmm. that I have more data that I can bring some people back. And so I'm slowly inviting people back. I don't, I will never be able to sustain my full caseload right now. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like trying to figure out what days I'm sick and what days I'm capable yeah. of doing what I'm doing. Well, here, here's a side note listeners. I know this is an auditory experience, but Leah has a huge spark. Aww. Yeah, she just had chemo yesterday. I did not, I would say, <laughs> except for Leah not having much hair. I'd say we look equally sparkish and alive. Yeah, so. and that's, thank you. And that's that's what I'm wanting to make sure I can bring mm-hmm. to the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm in a phase right now where I'm inviting people back in to do therapy with me. And um, I actually hope there's attrition just because I won't be able to fit everyone back in. And then how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I've never had to face that before. So. Does it feel more... I don't know, urgent or imminent or alive doing therapy now and showing up for people then yeah. after the first and second time. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's, um, you know, you've heard metaphors about if you knew when you were going to die, isn't that a gift? And people have written books about that and given Ted talks about that. And it's, it's that kind of stuff, you know, like I, I know I don't have much time in this body and on this planet and in this relationship with this person who's sitting across from me. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing in a beautiful way. Like I'm soaking it up, drinking it in. Yeah. yeah. I want all of us to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I could see where, you know, in general, you know, there's a whole thing in therapy. Should you hug your patients mm-hmm. or not? But I imagine like, in your position, I would want to hug everyone every time. Yeah. I've had, and you know what, since I'm, I don't initiate that, but mm-hmm. they do. Oh, they I get a lot. I mean, it's COVID now, so that's not happening, mm-hmm. but that'll be the first thing that happens when I'm back in the office for sure. Yeah. And, and you've asked this earlier in the podcast, how certain clients are responding. I mean, and some, I guess I sense from some of them or they just tell me, um, that they too feel this closer connection, you know, um, this sense of urgency, I guess, to, be in it or not, but like be mindful and intentional about what they're doing, right? Yeah. I wonder too, you know, there, get, there can be this really sweet dynamic with therapist and client patient where you want to please them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if some of your folks that you work with are thinking, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to give Leah a gift and I want to, whatever it is, like 
change my marriage or my mm-hmm. eating disorder or right. my grief or my resentment. I want to I want to show Leah that actually this helped right? versus just like, oh, we got another week and another week and another week and another week. And <laughs> right. as long as her copay is manageable, I could just. Yeah. Keep... Yeah. Well, you know how it comes up um, for the ones who who feel safe enough doing this. And I invite everyone to feel safe enough doing this. This just happened last week. Leah, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed and sad. And I have this feeling of shame, but um you know that thing that I often talk to you about? We're back here again. And it feels even more inane than ever that I'm here talking with you <laughs> about this thing that we've talked about for 10 years. And so it's like we start, we talk about that process. So mm-hmm. that's lovely for me because then I'm, I know that they're already doing that. Like I should have figured this out by now and even more so by now. And so I love when people start off the session with, Mm. <laughs> I That's don't even want to great... bring this up. <laughs> oh, I actually wish we were videotaping this because if everybody could see the face Leah just made when she <laughs> Oh, the sad scrunchy face. Yeah. That was <laughs> <laughs> Well that's I mean I I feel like I feel it from them. Yeah. Like they're just like, you know, it's like they did something wrong. That yeah. their issues back. And mm-hmm. look at me, I'm bald and how dare they can't get their shit together or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's therapy, you're not supposed to have your shit together. <laughs> It's okay. Yeah. Do people outright ask, how long are you going to live? Mm-hmm. How long are you, can, yeah. are we going to work together? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It comes out a little more awkward than that, which is cute. Um, mm-hmm. Me too, I guess, if I hadn't gone through this. It's like, how do you ask about someone's prognosis? Um, yeah. And I say things that are not very... Um, satisfying because <laughs> I don't know either, mm-hmm. you know. Um I guess here's here's how I would give them that answer, but not giving them that answer. I say things to them like, I wouldn't have invited you back. <laughs> I wouldn't be actually doing this right now if I thought I only had a few months to live. And I love my job, but don't get me wrong, I'd probably be doing <laughs> something <laughs> else. <laughs> I that gives them the closest amount of information for mm-hmm. how long. <laughs> um or you'll know when I say something like time for me to take a break mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um because th- the thing is i actually asked my oncologist that i said well you know i've been doing therapy and i really don't want to die on them anytime soon so thoughts mm. <laughs> and they say things like you're not going to die on them anytime soon yeah, yeah. i want to do oncologists still give timelines because my i don't keep up on this literature but my sense is anytime they've looked at how well physicians predict yeah death timelines they're horrible 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 might as well just like close your eyes exactly and throw a dart yeah so dartboard. here's what i appreciate the the team i have yeah they don't do that because they know that and they've done that as young docs and have been mortified mm-hmm. <laughs> um so they don't do that with me either so they it's that's why this the, the, the teaching of this illness is that all we have is now and so even the oncologist assess how am i doing now mm-hmm. how am i doing today that determines, you know, a decision we make today, and then we'll check in again tomorrow. So they know that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you've already thought about this. How you'll know when it's time yeah. is when you feel you you just can't genuinely show up for people. Yeah, I, that is a ethic for me, um, a work ethic I have. And a responsibility, um, I take it very seriously. So 
I know I'm at risk for making it about me because I get so much joy out of doing it. So I have to be very intentional and really stay on top of that. Mm-hmm. And even cutting back gives me feedback around how I am lonely and miss doing my job. So I, it, it's not like that went away. So I have to be really careful about my motivations. Because mm-hmm. you could also imagine you really, really ailing and actually not showing up, but that there's some percentage of people, and I'm guessing from what, you know, the way you describe the loyalty and connection you have with the people, it could be a lot of your people who, are, who will say, I'll show up and pay for this just to be there for you, yeah. like, to give back to you. And, and they would be happy to do that. And yeah. they, they might leave and say, yeah, it's clear she was in a lot of pain and not there for me. But also to flip that, you could imagine that for some people like, oh, I was helping her. Yeah. What's better than helping people? Yeah. And they have tried in ways already to do things, which is great. You know, um, they'll just come out and say, what can I do for you? I feel really helpless. And I say this, you're doing this. Mm. Um, but you know, other things like sending me cards at home, flowers at home, a way to stay connected, a way that they're giving more than just showing up in therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On your podcast, Precarious, um, favorite episode I've listened to so far is the one about my person. Mm, you, yeah. And uh, so everyone everyone needs to listen to that for sure. And I'll put links to that in the show notes. Uh, but before we recorded this, I was asking you, did you seek your own therapy, supervision, support? And you had said something like you tried it unsuccessfully for a long time. Yeah. So I'm curious about that process. And then of late, you found someone who's, a, I think, a palliative care expert yeah. who's really Amazing. helped you, yeah. you know, be, the, be the support for the healer. Yeah. So throughout the years, because it has been seven plus years, traditional therapists, and I, and this is my bad, I just, I know if I had sought it out long and hard enough, I'd eventually find somebody. But I, um, I felt like, I wanted someone who truly understood either they were a survivor themselves and dealt with death and versus someone who's really good at dealing with death. And so I did not find any traditional therapeutic outlets for that. Um, early on, I did hire someone who's a coach and she herself um, has an ovarian cancer diagnosis. And that felt like a closer connection. And then and then most recently, because of my more sort of terminal, I'm going to die from one of these diseases eventually, I, and this was just um, serendipitous, basically, but one of the guests on my podcast is an expert in palliative care, and his name is uh, Dr. B.J. Miller. If you want to hear that episode, it's on there as well. But because I had interviewed him, I felt really close and connected and understood his take um, better than just reading about him or watching his TED talks. And there was something about our conversation was super intimate. So when I recurred to the point where I needed to go back into some pretty intense chemotherapy, I took a risk and thought it would this be the way I needed supervision this time around since so much of my 
personal work is existential and death and dying and how do I show up for people? And I, th- I, th- I thought, I think he can do this. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's been the best thing ever because um, we have these, you know, we talk about everything, like my fears about talking to my clients again about this. And mm-hmm. he, he can parallel um, some of his experiences um, physically um, and going into the helping profession and his relationships with his people. It's just there's so much there because he chooses to be transparent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly the thing that is the good stuff for me is like, he knows how to talk about existential stuff and I need that place to dump that and, and then be able to show up, mm-hmm. right? Like any fears and, and crisis I'm having, I need to feel like I have someplace to put that with someone else. Mm-hmm. And that helps me then be more clear and present for my people. Yeah. Is that a weekly? Yeah, it is weekly. Connection? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's really powerful. It's amazing. It's what I need right now because um, I'm in the thick of it again. Yeah, totally I'm assuming it. since it's uh, pandemic-y times, you never met him in person. No. Yeah. No. My Hopefully heart someday soon. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I hope so too. Um, yeah, so that has been magical um, for me, for me to have these, you know, I, sometimes I go, like I get off a call with him and write into session with somebody, mm. you know, and it's, It's good. It's really good. Tell me about uh, the podcast and how that's helping you. Excuse me, because I think that's something we both share that uh, precarious for you, back from the abyss for me, or a... This is self-care. This is um, self-exploration. This is, I think, both of us trying to put something meaningful and beautiful and real out into the world. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Um, That was my motivation for doing this. Um, I had stalled on starting a podcast for a long time. I mean, I was joking with you before we started recording. 50% of that was t- technology because I feel like an old person. <laughs> like, me, me too. How, do, how does a 17-year-old just launch a podcast in their closet or their car? I don't, anyway. So anyway, so 50% was, I'd like to start one. I don't know what I'm doing. But the other 50% that I sat on was, ooh, I know I'm really transparent and vulnerable with clients and we're in this like, room with the door closed and it's really good vulnerable shit can i do that on a podcast i don't know about that part Mm. do i have the gumption so i i balked on that and and then i decided well come on again this whole line it might not be alive that much longer if this is something i've been wanting to do get off my ass and do it (laughs) so that's how (laughs) except you can do a podcast on your ass true in fact we're both doing that right i am (laughs) actually um yeah so i figured out how to, you know, hire someone for the technology part. And then I thought about the, the whole premise of it. And it, this notion of I've learned that life is really precarious and not just cognitively, mm-hmm. not just like some intellectual thought, like, no. And all of ours are, we're all walking tightrope. It doesn't have to be facing cancer. It's you just life's hard. Mm-hmm. And we have many moments that you and I hear about every single day about people walking a tightrope and they have precarious things going on in their lives. It's what we do all the time. So we sit with that, right? So I thought, well, I'm going to talk about what's going on with me. 
And I'm going to invite other people on and have them share their stories. And again, I can look at you and our eyes can connect and we know that's where the good stuff is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm guessing, you know, that your vulnerability on that is just such a draw. It is for me. I, I had this experience recently. I offered listeners, if they wanted to have a video call with me, mm-hmm. we would do that. And so in the last week and a half, I've done a bunch of video calls with people all over the planet. And, uh, and one of the questions I asked is, you know, what do you like most about the podcast? And one of the things that most people said, they said, we like it when you talk about your mistakes. Uh-huh. We talk, we like it when you talk about the ways you really screwed up. We like when you talk about the painful stuff you've like, yeah, they said, because yeah. usually people don't talk about their big mistakes or how they hurt people. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's something I've, I've always tried to model, but I was really surprised to hear that that was such a winning. So maybe I'm going to have to do an episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode 25, all my fuck ups. <laughs> and this is part one of 10 parts. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And this is not just one episode, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yours, yeah, I get the sense it's not so much about mistakes made, but it's just real, it's hard behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, letting people in on my vulnerabilities. I, you know, I, where I'm feeling like a hot mess or really weak or incapable or not worthy. And um, there's something like a cancer experience and treatment that brings up for me massive failure. Like I have, I'm somehow, somehow this is still my fault. I don't believe that. I 0% believe that. But the little girl in me or the sense of I have failed somehow because I'm going to die. I am in touch with that. I wasn't in touch with that until I got help Mm -hmm. and I could put words to it. And so, yeah, a lot of like the ultimate mistakes, right? That I'm going to leave before you and I'm going to let you down. And Mm -hmm. as a therapist, I don't want to leave you before Mm -hmm. you're ready to terminate, before you're ready to terminate. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, Oh man, that brings up so much for me. So I talk about that kind of throughout in different ways, depending on the context of what I'm feeling or going through. Because being so sick, physically sick, and every sense of construct of who you are is gone, and every coping tool that I've ever had feels like it's not working. <laughs> yeah. That's that that failure stuff comes up for me. Like mm-hmm. I can't do this. I can't hang. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you get the sense most of your people listen to your podcast? I think a lot more than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine that they would think, oh, this is this really powerful, vulnerable window into my therapist. And also, this is too much. I think this so. Is too, this is too almost like that thing when you're little, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could read people's minds? And, and then, then you like, realize no. that would be the worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I ever want that? Yeah, yeah, I think there's those reactions for sure. Or a bit of maybe some cringeworthy things going on, like they're listening and have to turn it off. Or I, to- I mean, I'm sure. You know, uh, and others are like, oh, thank God I can still be, I can still hear your voice. I get to hear your voice, mm-hmm. you know. Um, or that's really hard to hear, but I'm really glad I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah there's something so powerful about voice. Mm-hmm. And um, I can imagine, I mean, you have such a great voice, I can imagine the people that work with you just listening to your voice just to be comforted, even if you're talking about really hard things. <laughs> I've heard people have said that to me. Yeah. So they said, sometimes late at night when I can't sleep, I just listen to you. And I'm thinking, yeah. really hearing me talk about Adderall addiction or... 
<laughs> Those are my, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> if that's soothing, that's yeah. great. Okay. Yeah. I've actually, yes, actually I've had a couple of people say that too, that they've listened to certain podcasts over and over and over again, which, um, that makes sense when they see it, right? I mean, the, the, the gestalt of the experience with us, part of it's voice, right? Mm-hmm. And if they have nothing else but voice, mm-hmm. that's something. Mm-hmm. Plus how cool when you're gone, when I'm gone, whenever that is, uh, they'll always be able to hear yeah. you. There's this, you know, you, you've left something behind that's tangible because so much of what we do as therapists and docs, it's, it's intangible. We think, okay, we well, hope we're helping people, but, you know, the precarious episodes will always exist and people can... Go yeah, thank you. That. that wasn't my intention, but it was like, duh, I realized that, you know, halfway in, that's mm-hmm. true. And in some ways, I had this another balking point on that, like, uh oh, shit, <laughs> this is out there forever. I mean, I should have thought of that before. But then I've like turned the corner and, and I've gotten feedback. Like, I, get, I will always hear your voice. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is your intention to carry precarious? to the end wherever that is yeah i think so you know i reserve the right to pull back from that (laughs) statement um because who knows i would yeah you know i mean right ultimately that's kind of what i want um other people have done that i've watched them do that whether it's their memoir or an audio diary of them going through an illness or an injury or a disability or something that ends their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm not, I won't be you know, paving new roads. I just have to think about, do I want to do that? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that could be a long time from now. Hoping. Hoping. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this has been so powerful to sit with you. And having done a few distance interviews during the COVID times, and then back, you know, I've both had our shots, and to sit face to face, and like, oh, this is why I'm doing this, you know, to uh, to just have genuine conversations with people. And um, thanks to Brooke Schneider, who facilitated this, who's a mutual friend, and she said you have to sit down with Leah. You guys could create something really cool. And I thought, yeah, we should do that. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank for you. Me. It's um. It's been such an honor and my pleasure. And um, yeah. And thank you, Brooke. I do appreciate it. In the end, we are all going to lose everything and everyone we've ever known and loved. What makes life most urgent and scary and beautiful is that it's going to end. Leah has harnessed this truth to bring more meaning and urgency into the therapy room. She's given her clients the gift of peeling back the delusional veil, this belief that things are going to go on and on as they are now. Death will destroy us, but the idea of death can save us. I just love that quotation. I bet Leah does too.